everybody. Welcome to the Tech Analyst Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Shrout, Principal Analyst at Shrout Research, joined by Patrick Moorhead, Principal Analyst at More Insights and Strategy. Patrick, we've uh, it's been a week or maybe two at this point. Uh, do, you, do you feel refreshed? Are you uh, back in the mood to, to get some work done these days? Oh my gosh, I, I'm so glad to be back. Listen, I loved Colorado, and I don't think I've, I've had that much fresh air ever, but I am, I am back <laughs> Where I'm very comfortable in front of my monster desktop and you know two big displays, big big clickety clackety keyboard. So let's yeah, this. working working and working on your laptop exclusively for a long period of time can can eventually be frustrating. That's why at home I've always got those external displays hooked up for it anyway. So yeah. uh, let's jump into it. Uh, Intel. So we, we're kind of we're in the follow up to Computex now. There's still a little bit of fallout coming from this. Some of the last minute things that have come out. Um, one thing that Intel did announce during Computex was the Core i7-8086K processor. This was a special edition, limited edition processor based on the same six core Coffee Lake design that that has been out for a while. Uh, but limited edition, they're only going to make 50,000 of these in celebration of the 40th anniversary of the original Intel 8086, which brought uh, x86 processing out to the world. Uh, the, they didn't actually sample this for reviews to media, but obviously some people went out and bought it. Uh, one of the guys that worked uh, on PC Perspective for me went out and bought one and tried to do some reviewing on it. We had some issues getting the motherboard to properly clock up the processors based on workloads and um, we had some frustration on that side but we also saw reviews that did have their processors working with their motherboards you know well uh, come out and have I would say tepid reviews of it if if to put it lightly um, basically that there was very little to no performance advantage for this processor over the existing 8700k which I, I was surprised by because when they first talked about it they talked about it being a five gigahertz part uh, and the existing 8700k was a 4.7 gigahertz part well as it turns out that performance delta only existed with when uh, one thread processing was was going. And if you know anything about how scheduling works on operating systems and workloads across different applications, it's kind of rare that you ever are in a situation where you legitimately only have one thread operating uh, at one time, right? So the fact that the other... And the other instances when two cores or three cores or five or six cores were operating, the clock speeds were actually identical between the 8086K and the 8700K meant that performance and benchmarks didn't really show any advantage there. So uh, I think most people's takeaway here was that this was a, you know, it's a promotional limited edition part that doesn't really offer the either out-of-box performance or the overclocking advantages that maybe some people had hoped it was going to do, just based on the naming of it itself. So some of the bigger picture things, you know, I've never, well, not that I've never seen, there was a lot of angst that I saw on Twitter uh, out there. I mean, just downright get things getting uh, personal and also the fact that this wasn't sampled to the press just, just raises this whole idea of of um, you know what is going on with Intel or more importantly what is going on with with Intel comms and 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 sampling and and stuff mm -hmm. like that I just mm -hmm. I've never seen this amount of, of, of ire in a long time now AMD is is I'm sure a factor in that uh, but 
it would be nice to, to to see the drama maybe die down a little bit. Yeah. I, I think in, in this instance, it was one of these things where they had made the decision to make the product. It was It's a cool celebratory statement, the 8086K. It's neat. It's fun. Uh, but maybe their performance department got it and goes, mm, you know, as it turns out, you know, for the $75 upcharge, you're not really getting any performance out of it. You're just getting the ability to claim you have one of these parts. And that's why they wouldn't have wouldn't have wanted to sample it out widely to media. Um, so we'll see. I, you know, I don't think they'll have any problems selling these. In general, I think the enthusiast community, the DIY group, views this as a higher bend 8700k uh, in other words you you should have better luck trying to overclock this although it is still a lottery in most cases uh but i think that's kind of in general what this is what this is being perceived as now so well, the most interesting thing which which is i saw the review sites just said okay if i'm not going to get sampled i'm going to buy it at amazon <laughs> yeah as if as if not sampling it to the press was going to keep the keep keep the reviewers from reviewing this thing yeah that's something that a lot of companies fall under this trap of that it, that they feel that well, if we don't sample it, then no reviews will come out, and we'll be we'll be saved forever. And it's like that's not really how this works. These guys, this is their living. This is this is what they do. They need to generate content. They need to write reviews, and they have a level of trust and confidence with their readers that they that they need to prove out. So, you know, spending four hundred bucks on a on a CPU is 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 painful if you're used to testing a bunch of stuff that people send to you. But you know, then you put it in a system build, or you give it away as a contest or something, and you get some kind of other value out of it. Okay, we've beaten this one to death. Yeah, let's talk about uh, Qualcomm servers exiting or not. This was an interesting bit. There had been rumors circulating that Qualcomm was going to be exiting the data center business that they're uh, recently announced just, uh, was it this year, last year, Centrique? 2400 processors that had got a lot of attention, a lot of promotion. Um, they had started to get, you know, a couple, a handful of customers doing onboarding and uh, application migration and that type of stuff. But there was rumors that they were exiting out of it as part of this uh, $1 billion cost-cutting effort in order to, that they need, that they promised their shareholders after, you know, shedding off the Broadcom bid. Well, now there's a report that uh, that's not the case. Uh, and you had actually a statement on this specifically, yeah, so, right? Yeah, I reached out to Qualcomm. So first of all, I, I thought that this was going to be sold off. Uh, I know there were some people laid off on Monday, but uh, here's a Qualcomm sent me. Quote, Qualcomm remains committed to data center opportunities and is not divesting the assets. We're reducing our investments in the data center business, but remain committed to our China JV and to refocusing our R&D efforts for upcoming compute opportunities at the edge of 5G networks and AI inference cloud chipsets. So a couple mm-hmm. things stand out here. Uh, first of all, you know, whenever you do some sort of a JV or commitment in China, you, you're, you're in it. You can't just bail. And maybe that had some complexities that, that provided challenges for them selling off the asset. Uh, and, and essentially their China JV was uh, uh, similar to AMD's and Intel's in that it was essentially, we're going to wrap uh, special China security bits around the core processor and, and make it an indigenous processor. Right. But the one new piece here is this AI inference cloud chipsets. That, that came out of nowhere. You know, nowhere did I see... Uh, Any time that Centrique was positioned uh, as AI inference, I think yeah. Intel is doing a pretty good job uh, right now on 
on showing uh, how customers and getting customers on stage like Amazon and like Facebook to show how they can do uh, pretty good inference, uh, not the fastest inference, but if your servers are idle, uh, you know, 13 hours a day doing inference uh, on this. So I just, I thought that was interesting. Uh, what's your take on this, Ryan? So I, I also kind of expected this to be killed off or sold off, although I had talked talked to some people at ARM that kind of expressed that they didn't think that was going to be the case. But I was also wondering if ARM was going to be worried if one of its flagship partners for its push into the data center might be backing away. I think that'd be a pretty big blow to the idea and the whole ARM ecosystem. So it's good that that Qualcomm's staying in there. I too am surprised to see that the AI inference uh, in there at all. Um, I, I would love to see that how that's implemented. I'm also curious, you know, they say that they're not divesting, but they're reducing investments and, you know, this the data center is is a is a is a space that changes pretty rapidly. They demand new and changing performance requirements pretty pretty frequently. And if you're not investing a lot in it, I think it's gonna be hard to keep up in anything except really, really specific niche groups. And that may be what they're what they're trying to do. Another thing that I kind of thought was that, you know, having seen and and talked about what arms publicly disclosed roadmap is for its core ip that you know there's a pretty significant performance jump coming from the arm ecosystem in the you know year to 18 months to 24 month time frame and that might be something that qualcomm can lean on with this and it may be that they're waiting a little bit going a little bit into a hibernate state until this stuff is really ready or they can get the team in place to do that i don't know that for sure it's just guessing at this point but that would be something i could see them doing maybe at you know the pressure of others but obviously um i, I think we both agree that it, it's 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 good for qualcomm to not leave this group because it is or leave this this market because it is potentially very valuable yeah yeah it's interesting so it's uh, it's 100 percent a technology play uh i don't think there are many product marketing people or comms people or even uh, folks uh, working on this at this point, I, I think they got laid off. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see. It's it's uh, Centric is now part of the CDMA technology division. That's kind of interesting. Pretty interesting. Also interesting. Um, we had known since Intel hired Raja Kadori that their plan was to dive into the GPU space. And they even said kind of in November when they hired him that they were going to do discrete graphics, but they had never really given any more detail than that for good reason. Uh, Recently, I wrote a story that went up on MarketWatch that discussed Intel confirming uh, with some analysts that 2020 was when they were going to have chips available, graphic chips available in the market. They wouldn't say if these were going to be consumer targeted GPUs or enterprise targeted GPUs. Uh, but what they did also do is confirm that they would have both of those available at some point. They were building a family of GPUs. So you could think of gaming, um, pro visualization, and then data center artificial intelligence applications as well. So they their goal is to target everything, um, but they plan to have something available in 2020. I think a lot of this was they wanted to get out ahead of it. You know, some some of the media had talked about the idea that they were going to launch products at CES 2019, which is in less than six months, by the way. And uh, that's just a completely unreasonable time frame for a 
ground up GPU design. You're talking about a three year window here and hitting 2020 is already going to be pretty aggressive, I think. Uh, but it's it's interesting. It, it puts these other guys on notice, you know, NVIDIA and AMD. I, don't get me wrong. I think Intel has a tremendous uh, hurdle, hill to climb, if you will, right? Getting all this stuff right, the hardware, the software, the partnerships, the integration, trying to do gaming and visualization, professional visualization and enterprise all at the same time, all at once is going to be is going to be a tough a tough nut to crack. So, uh, I'm really curious what they what they end up doing with this. Yeah. So first off, I'm glad um, glad we saw you know what I consider a reset. There were some people who were expecting something in 2019, which would have been weird, and that it would have said that Raja would have would have had absolutely no impact on the architecture. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and, and and that's just that's just silly. And you're right. Three years uh, it, it takes from from beginning from beginning to end. So it's nice to see that. Uh, with that said, I, I think we can all expect that it's going to come out in data center first, which makes uh, sense from the point of view that that's where I'll call it the dollar per transistor or profit mm-hmm. per transistor, and also probably the biggest threat. Obviously, the biggest threat to Intel because they don't have a discrete consumer uh, franchise. But there's the potential that that Intel loses cycles uh, from a CPU or an FPGA, and with Nirvana, you know, not being out, uh, I think it's a good hedge for Nirvana. In the end, I fully expect that Intel uh, over time will have competitive hardware. I think the because they're they're doing I'm expecting a classic GPU architecture, not a string of many core x86 processors. But it's going to come down to the software, and yeah, and and that's it, it's hard to put metrics on software like we do on hardware. But but I I think that uh, Intel is going to go big. Uh, and have make it easier for the developers to develop across CPU, GPU, FPGA, Movidius, and even AVX uh, 512. I think that's what they're going to bring to the table. Yeah, it makes sense to build first for the enterprise AI segment. You're right; it's higher margin, higher. I like that. You know what you can charge per transistor there. Let that waterfall down. You know once it's more mature, once your yields are where they need to be. Uh, into the consumer space that is, you know, larger unit-wise, but you know, less a- lower ASPs in terms of selling price points. Um, so I, I think we'll see some of the, you know, enthusiasts following. I mean, Raja had a big enthusiast following, right? He had a lot of uh, uh, of people in the community that that looked up to him and, and liked to see what he had to say. So I think there will be some disappointment that the first parts aren't, you know, uh, uh, a GeForce GTX competitor. Uh, but I think from both of these corporate standpoints, NVIDIA, AMD, Intel, they understand that they where they need to go for the money at this point. But um, interesting nonetheless. Yeah, 2020. It's, it's, it, I mean, that's technically it's only 18 months away now. Or they have, you know, up to 24 months to stay inside of that. Uh, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Another thing that Intel popped up from Intel through some analyst meetings was there was a, a, a report here. Uh, this was kind of first shown on CNBC.com, a Nomura report, where it was insinuated that 
CEO, Intel CEO, uh, Brian Krasanich, stated that, that, their, that their goal was to prevent AMD and its epic line of processors from taking any more than 15 to 20% market share. And if you read into that, that's a pretty significant statement if it were true, because that would insinuate that they would be expecting AMD to get to those types of those types of levels of market share coming from a near zero before the launch of Epic. What did you read into uh, some of the some of the reporting out of this, some of the analysis of it? Yeah, so I've been dealing with Intel for close to 30 years, and I've never, ever heard them uh, ever make a statement like that, that they were going to lose significant market share. Uh, now, in the past, they have. Uh, at certain points, particularly to AMD, who at its peak reached about 32% server market share, but it's not something. And and you know, it, to AMD's credit and PR, they jumped on this thing, and stories just started popping up left and right like fireworks, and AMD stock yeah. price went up. Uh, but here's what I got from Intel, um, and let me read the statement. We seek significant opportunities for growth in data center, an estimated $70 billion market opportunity in 2021, where we have an opportunity to grow our total silicon data center market segment share from where we are today. And by the way, um, I think the total silicon share that Intel has in the data center is 32% um, because there's a lot of silicon they don't have in storage and networking. And like oh, we talked sure. about in GPUs. Okay. It says, uh, while we prepared for a more competitive environment as we move through 2018, we've already factored that into our financial forecast. We're in a great position to compete. We remain confident our products, our roadmap, our competitive position. For example, Intel Xeon represents the biggest advancements in platform capabilities in a decade. And we'll introduce breakthrough new Intel Optane DC persistent memory and storage tech architected specifically for the data center. Now, they didn't respond specifically to the 15 or 20%, but in follow-up, they did say that that uh, BK did not say this. Um, hmm. And to be honest with you, it would be a surprise to me. Like I, I said, I've, yeah, I've never, I, but I, I've never, I've never heard Intel ever, ever Babe Ruth or not Babe Ruth uh, say that in a future <laughs> time they were going to lose some significant market share, but they're their play, the thing that they're trying to tee up here that says, listen, this is not about CPUs. Uh, this is about over total silicon between server storage, networking, and security. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, they threw an Optane. They threw in that, hey, we don't own everything. So I feel like what they're doing is they're gauging, I, I, you know, I read between the lines, they are acknowledging that they're going to lose share. They're not saying 15 to 20%, but I think that they're saying it's already been factored in. And by the way, we're going to gain share in areas in networking and storage. Mm. What's your what's your take? Um, yeah, I, I, reading more specifics from this from this report is that they say BK was matter of fact in saying that Intel would lose server share to AMD in the second half of the year. But then they kind of go into that 15 to 20% mark. It, it seems pretty extreme because even AMD doesn't forecast itself getting to those margins. Like it's looking for, I think they say mid double digits. Uh, I'm sorry, mid single digits by the end of this year. So you know, talking five percent market share of a twenty billion dollar market, right? So that's still you know a billion dollars, which is huge for AMD to have in revenue. If they could get to fifteen percent, that's suddenly three billion dollars that they would be gaining that 
it, essentially Intel would be losing. And I think that would be uh, impossible for Intel to not have built into their financials and and predictions and and models moving forward. Right, three billion dollars even for Intel is not a rounding error. Yeah, and I think what people were doing is they were were really teeing off of the ten nanometer uh, move mm-hmm. to 2019, and I think that mm-hmm. that their official talking point was was the second half and then you know by that time AMD should have their 7 nanometer parts uh, out that's where yeah. I think it was coming from yeah and 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 part of this report, you know, BK says that uh, he was, you know, he's asked a lot about the 10 nanometer stuff, which you would expect in any kind of, you know, financial analyst day like this. He said that, you know, customers don't care about density. They care about performance. In other words, they don't care about what the name of the process, process technology powering these chips are. They care what what's the end performance, what's the cost per performance, um, those types of things, which is which is true. And Intel delivering you know seventy percent improvement in system level performance through a combination of storage and compute and all these things that they've done all with without changing process nodes. I think that's a very valid argument. But if you're on AMD side. Um, and you know you have seven nanometer coming. You know was into this year, beginning of 2019. You start to bang that drum, right? Your your goal is to build up the value of what you know seven nanometer technology is going to do for you and your products because you want you want to accelerate that share gain if you can, right? That's that's the other side of this. AMD would love to be at 15 percent as opposed to five percent here, um, but I think that's that's a huge. There's a huge gap there between those two numbers um, that, that that needs uh, a lot of a lot more analysis and working out to see. Like we, we need to see more systems deployed, more customer integration stories from AMD before I would believe they're going to hit 15 to 20 percent in the near term. Yeah, from a comms perspective too, just like the the Intel uh, the demo that was that was done at Computex, like the oh, right. 8086K. I just feel like. The tonality of, of how the press is reacting to some of these things is, ex- I mean, it's night and day from a year ago. Yeah, it is. It, well, and I would say, I would look at it this way. It, it's tonally different, but it's also, I don't think it's, I don't think they've got it nailed down yet, right? They're still struggling to find the balance from the intel that they were, you know, five, six years ago. Uh, both being a leader and aggressive, and now that they have com- uh, competition from AMD, from Qualcomm, from Nvidia, they're trying to recenter themselves, re- rediscover what their voice is. They haven't really had it, uh, and I think if you look at the 28 core demo, the 8086K launch, those were aggressive moves, but they were messaged and delivered poorly. And that's I think the thing that they're that they're still still struggling a bit to find here, and this may be a part of that. A part of that as well. Well, maybe this is um, maybe this is the call to action that uh, that the company uh, needs. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the Oak Ridge National Laboratory and uh, based near me here, down in Tennessee. Uh, they built the new world's fastest AI supercomputer. You got to talk with uh, IBM about this. It sounds like. Yeah, I got to talk to IBM and I got to talk to the director of uh, Oak Ridge National Laboratories, and and those guys are really excited, and they should be. So, the traditional way to measure the performance of a supercomputer is single precision, 32-bit uh, floating point, 
and yep. uh, this one is 200 uh, petaflops. And the goal is to get to an exaflop. But the big announcement here was in mixed precision, where uh, they are claiming a 3.3 exa ops, which would make it the fastest, let's call it AI and machine learning uh, supercomputer, which which is a huge, huge, um, huge, huge bragging rights for a lot of reasons. Uh, first off, the whole, you know, China versus USA thing. They had the uh, Department of Energy uh, up on stage. By the way, Jensen was presenting too. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of folks from, uh, from IBM uh, as well. But, but this thing is a beast and, and it's, you would expect that type of performance. So first off, you have 4,600 uh, IBM Power9 nodes uh, and you double that because it's a two-socket configuration to get close yep. to, you know, 9,200 uh, V100 GPUs. And then you have uh, 27,000 NVIDIA Volta uh, <sighs> V100s, which is just uh, which is just nuts. And then obviously to connect that together, you have to have some incredible networking, but also uh, what came out in my interviews, they're using uh, IBM Spectrum Storage, uh, for it, uh, I think it was, um, let me see, uh, uh, 20, uh, 20 petabytes, so two, sorry, 250 petabytes of storage and 1.6 terabytes of NVMe storage and connected via Infinib- PCIe 4 InfiniBand, right? Yep. I mean, isn't that crazy? We don't even have PCIe 4 anywhere at this point. And these guys are up and running and setting these these world's world records because in something like this the east west performance and traffic uh matters but right this is right. bragging rights right this is like um you know the highest uh, performance desktop computing bragging rights but related to uh scientific uh h uh, hpc and the other point that i thought it was cool was this is not some you know souped up funny car these are the same IBM power systems, AC922 systems that you could buy online today, right? Huh. Um, it, it's not like it used to be where, okay, there's only one computer on the planet like this. This is using standard IBM power systems uh, off the rack. And I think that's even, uh, even more highly impressive because most of these labs are using uh, funny cars, to uh, uh, to break the record that you can't actually buy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought it was really interesting. I um, so the the technology in here is is super super interesting. I mean, twenty seven thousand uh, Tesla GV one hundred GPUs in here. That's their top end part, right? So if you're looking where a lot of the hardware actually ended up, apparently ended up uh, in these in these machines. Um, Takes back the the, the the crown from the Chinese based uh, Sunway Taiyu Light, sixty percent better performance than that. You know the AI stuff looks really interesting on here. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's great. And I, as I have as I have aged and and gotten older, have more interest and respect for the idea of uh, how this will help society, how this will help science. You know, they talk about cancer research. Um, you know, and being able to analyze health data and to between like disease factors and genetics and biological markers in the environment. They talk about, um, you know, 
identifying using AI to identify function evolution of proteins and cellular systems for Alzheimer's and stuff. And and, and this to me I find more important as you have kids and you watch them get sick and go to the hospital or do whatever and get better. You're like, wow, wouldn't this be better if this was faster and easier and we didn't have all these problems? This is the type of stuff I like to see. Um, so credit to all those companies for doing it and credit for the, you know, I guess U.S. was the U.S. Department of Energy, right, that was responsible for actually paying for it probably. That's your tax dollars at work, baby. <laughs> I'm okay with that one. Yep. Well, the one, th- the one thing that, that people don't recognize is that you can actually uh, use uh, this supercomputer uh, as, as a company. If you want to go in and try something, you know, crazy, and mm-hmm. uh, Uber is doing is doing just that. There are four or five Ooh. companies that are already using uh, using Summit to, to make this happen. So, you know, NASA's NASA's using it, which 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 you would expect. But as a company like Uber, you can sign up and uh, and use it. Interesting. Good stuff. Uh, let's close out the, the podcast with a couple of, of quick hits here. You wanted to bring up your experience with the uh, the Asus Novago, which is the always connected PC that's got the uh, Qualcomm Snapdragon 835 platform in there. I have one of these, but honestly, I've spent more time with the HP device, although it sounds like uh, you've had really good experiences with your Asus, your time with the Asus model as well. Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time like you really figuring out this new segment of computers, always connected PCs, Qualcomm would call them always on, always connected PCs for obvious competitive reasons. Uh, But I'm just blown away about uh, the the experience that I got. And and literally the first day I worked, um, I was working for 10, the screen was lit up and I was looking at the screen uh, approximately eight hours, and I had 75% of my battery life remaining. And that's <laughs> just nuts. Now, it was all on Wi-Fi. I was at the uh, Cisco Live conference, so I was impressed. And then, you know, day two, I was working 11 hours and nine hours on the device, and I had 60% of my battery life. I was using Outlook uh, a little bit more, but... It truly is insane. I mean, listen, you know, you know, I both know the experience isn't perfect, but when it comes to battery life, and you know, we're not even talking about battery life, the efficiency and the size of the battery, right? Which is small. This device sure. is thin. Um, that's really impressive. Uh, in the airport, I got inside of the Orlando airport, I got 132 megabits per second download. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, pretty good. Yeah, an average on eight runs of 109 megabits per second inside the airport. So, and by the way, they were only using uh, two channels of carrier aggregation, so it wasn't, huh. uh, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the biggie. So, I'm going to test this sucker out uh, uh, here in Austin this weekend. Probably drive around to some hot spots, see if I can run up the score on that uh, speed test. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I think I might, I might swap over to that Asus one and see what what the differences are because there is there are large. I think there's larger battery in the Asus one than the HP, and it's a traditional clamshell versus a a detachable, which is, you know, better for actually having it on your lap or using it on an airplane. Those types of things. So interesting stuff. 
Uh, one last thing, E3 is happening now as we record this. A uh, couple of quick hits there. Doesn't look like there was any new hardware announced from the big guys, Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo. Uh, but Microsoft did kind of come, there have, there were rumors circulating for a while that, hey, Sony's working on you know, a, a PlayStation 5 that's going to be powered by a Navi GPU and an Intel CPU and all this. The only confirmation we got from it was actually Microsoft saying, yeah, they're working on the next piece of hardware. It's a 2021 product. Um, they also announced that they were going to build, they were building a streaming service that would run on many devices. Uh, and it kind of gives us a visualization of what the Xbox gaming uh, plan is kind of going forward. They've been very open. Phil Schiller did some interviews I saw uh, talking about their belief in kind of the open gaming system that crossplay should be supported across all these different platforms that you should be able to buy a game and play it on your Xbox and on Windows and maybe the streaming service as well. He also mentioned, you know, they they got some questions about, "Hey, why would you why would you say anything about a new piece of hardware in 2020 or 2021 knowing that you're still out there trying to sell Xbox Ones and Xbox One Xs even?" And he was I, I love listening to him talk because he's probably the most honest executive at any of these major companies that you'll see. And he says, look, we wanted to both prove internally to the team at Microsoft and externally that we are in this for the long haul. We're not, you know, there are rumors of them selling off the Xbox division, right? It's like, we're in this for the long haul. We haven't fired our hardware development team or anything like that. They're working on something. Of course, they're working on something. And we think putting this out there solidifies that and should get people more excited about the Xbox brand and platform. And I think I think that's actually a really interesting and kind of a good direction. Yeah, I mean, it's 100% focused on developers here. That, that statement because you know you do have to ask the question of, of how long are we are is there going to be a robust or a robust a need for a robust uh, gaming console right and listen we always are are asking this question right I mean uh, and, and it's funny what I always get down to on this is until we can guarantee, uh, uh, high quality connectedness and that's not just a factor of b- biggest download speeds it's also representative of latency uh, streaming is is just is gonna have a hard time going mainstream I mean you know Nvidia the company with arguably the best uh, streaming hardware uh, and services out there today, mm-hmm. Uh, you're not hearing them talking about the number of signups and stuff like that. No, uh, no. And and you can bet that it, if if it were an impressive number, we would be hearing about that. So I agree. I just think as as data density uh, of of the content, you know, 2K, 4K, 8K, and the displays uh, go up is going to p- put even more of a burden on on connectivity and uh, latency and response rate. That I, I I think you know we absolutely have room for at a minimum one likely two two more uh, versions of of uh, gaming devices. Yeah. I'd agree. The only other thing we saw at E3 was a lot of outstanding looking gaming content, which is kind of expected now. We've got mature hardware market on the console side. Um, so that's kind of what you would expect. Uh, you know, the, the the parting thought I had, as I mentioned, hey, I got older and I appreciate scientific computing more. 
man, some of these trailers for these games are like brutally violent. It's like make me turn my head away type stuff. And I don't remember being like that 10 years ago. So either the games got a lot more realistic looking or it's another it's another shift in, in getting older. I don't so. know. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's being a parent and, and kind of what you're, <laughs> what you're up to. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised the, uh, you know, this hasn't become politicized yet, but we'll see. I always do enjoy watching these trailers, right? The, the game is never as good as the trailer. Right. Inevitably, yes. But it's just such a great spectacle, and I'm, I'm going to watch yep. those on my uh, on my 4K display here. All right, everybody. That is going to be it for this episode of The Tech Analyst Podcast. If you want to listen to the previous episodes, you can go to thetechanalysts.com. Also, that's where you can find links to our RSS file if you want to subscribe that way, or links to iTunes or Google Play, or you can just search for The Tech Analysts on either of those platforms and uh, you'll find us as well. We'll be back uh, next week or so with another list of topics to talk to you about. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>